J.C. Corcoran Podcast. We are here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? Ah, oh my! And what did she say when you grabbed her? Please, Mr. Please. I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? How sweet it is. Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? With me now is the local sheriff. Sheriff Brody, the shark will be back for lunch. What do you intend to do? Just arriving is oceanographer Matt Hooper. Sir, if someone is attacked by a shark, what should they do? Do the hustle! We are going aboard the fishing boat of Captain Quint. Captain, will you be able to catch this giant shark? I will, I will, I will. Thank you, Captain. Captain, Captain, Captain. When you catch one of these sharks, what do you feel like? Like a rhinestone cowboy. We've just sighted the shark again. He's coming straight for us. Captain Quint is shouting something at him. Get your baby one of these nights. Hey, Jaws, the captain says he's going to catch you. What do you think of that? Uh-oh, here he comes again. They've hit him. Mr. Jaws, why doesn't anything seem to hurt you? Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. He's coming right onto the boat. Mr. Jaws, why are you grabbing my hand? Wouldn't you give your hand to a friend? No, wait. Mr. Jaws, that's not the way this record is supposed to end. Help! No, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous. Don't be rocky. You're our teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before. It's like deja vu all over Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, or at jconthelinecom I played that thing for you specifically for a reason. That guy's name was Dickie Goodman, and that was the summer of 1975. Dickie Goodman was some sort of a disc jockey in California or something like that. And uh, he would run around, and he did a series of those kinds of records where he used clips from popular songs at the time to sort of like tell this goofy story. And believe it or not, he made millions on that stuff. It's hard to believe that in 1975, that passed for entertainment. And where people heard it on the radio and said, I have to have a copy of that. Let me run down to the, back then, record store. Let me run down to the record store. You have that Dickie Goodman thing, Mr. Jaws. Oh, my God, it's so funny. We actually were entertained by it. It sucked. But sometimes things that suck work. We all know that. So... Yeah, it was on this date, 1975, that Jaws came out. And as I was pointing out on the radio show this morning on K-Wolf at 101.5 in St. Louis and 101.7 out west and beyond, and then we also stream at kwolf.com, K-W-U-L-F, kwolf.com. I was talking about this earlier, the fact that the shark was only on camera for something like four total minutes of the movie. 
two-hour movie. And yet, still, something we couldn't really see very much, but felt the presence of scared us to death. Sort of like our mother-in-laws. Good morning, everybody. There were stories of people having heart attacks in the movie. I loved talking to Richard Dreyfus about the movie. He was in St. Louis a couple of years back. We sat down. We were covering a lot of ground, but we got to Jaws. I guess it was Premiere Magazine a couple of years ago on the 20th anniversary of the release of Jaws. They did a whole retrospective on the movie and went into the stories of chaos on the set of this movie. Just absolutely chaos. Um, I think you may have had some quotes in there. Spielberg was heavily quoted. Just tell me a little bit about what you remember pertaining to that experience, and did you at some point during that summer see your life passing before your eyes? I didn't. I actually had a great time, because I was, in a sense, uh, uh, a very interested and and, uh, and happily entertained observer to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. This was not going to make or break my life, as it did would uh, perhaps for Stephen or, or other people involved. So it was a great entertainment. It was a great saga. But it was a film, a huge film, that was started, in a sense, without a script, without a cast, and without a shark. And you can just extrapolate from there. <laughs> It's pretty bad if you don't even have the shark, and that's yeah. the star of the movie. And then, and then everything else is like falling down a flight of stairs. Bum, 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 bum. You know, and Stephen had started to tell me a story about some inside jokes that were going on on the set of that movie, particularly with regard to the scene where you slice open the belly of the shark and a bunch of things come falling out. He started the story, but he didn't finish it, and I think it had something to do with the caterer and you guys didn't like the food so you guys loaded up the shark's belly full of all the food that you couldn't stand from the caterer does that even ring a bell no this is a, this is this is a non-starter as they say <laughs> so in other words when you say you were an observer you were on the periphery at least as far as that inside stories stuff. but uh, that's up to steven that yeah. one is uh steven's and then years later we were talking about saving private ryan and how really shocking and numbing and just something that just totally blow you away, especially if you didn't know it was coming. When we saw that movie at the screening in California, we didn't have any idea. We just knew that it was a war movie, something about this army private who got separated somehow. Well, you know the story. But we went into the movie not knowing anything. And I still remember it was in the uh, screening room. It wasn't in a theater. It was about a 100-seat theater. There were critics from all over the country out in Los Angeles. It was actually in Pasadena. And I remember we walked in and sat down and, and we didn't know what was coming. There's dead silence in the theater and walking out two hours later, still dead silence. Just shows you what film is capable of doing. But anyhow, years later, as I said, I got a chance to talk to Spielberg about the way he sort of perceives his audience when he's making his movies and, and how powerful they can be. Stephen, there's already been some noting from some of the test audiences and screenings and people are starting to just, you know, there's these little rumblings. Well, you know, that first 30 minutes, boy, that staggering of violence. And there's going to be some people who are scared off by that. They're going to see it. They're going to hear about it. They're going to say, I don't know. I just don't think that's for me. I don't know. My personal feeling is, is that every American could see Saving Private Ryan we might not get in another war for a long time. Just talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, my feeling is that I'll, I'll never, you know, you know, uh, you know, try to encourage an audience, you know, to see something that they don't think they can take. I actually think if the audience thinks going in that, that it might be too much for them and, and holding their eyes closed or even holding their ears closed and looking away wouldn't, wouldn't help. 
and they aren't the people for this movie and they shouldn't put themselves through the experience. But there's going to be a lot of other people who are going to be able to put themselves through the experience. I remember when The Exorcist first came out and everybody was saying how horrible that was, you know. And I, in fact, wound up watching part of the movie from the lobby. I actually was 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 outside the doors of the theater with the doors open, peeking around the curtains and watched some of the movie from there. I, I, believe me, I'm, I'm as squeamish as anybody. When the first Alien movie came out, I found myself in the lobby looking through the curtains watching part of the movie. Um, um, so I understand how certain audiences feel because I'm that way. But I think once an audience can get through the first 23, 24 minutes of Omaha Beach, whether they get through it looking away or just looking up periodically, it's going to give the rest of the picture, which is not that intense, an entirely... Uh, it'll make them physical participants with those soldiers throughout the rest of the story, even if they only watch part of the opening. See, that's remarkable. And he only made a you know, sort of a backhanded reference to Jaws there, but just think about that. Like, I remember when all three of my daughters were very little and they were starting to watch movies that would, on occasion, scare them. And sometimes it was a kid's movie, but still, you know, with some scary scenes, sometimes a kid has a reaction to a scene in a movie, and you're like, well, why are you afraid of that? But, you know, kids are kids. You know, we've all gone through that, where something just scares the bejesus out of you when you're little, and you're, you're not even necessarily sure that you understand why that is. And what I always would do is I would draw attention to the fact that it is a movie, and I talked about now, if you get scared, try to picture them making this movie. And there's directors and producers and writers standing around. There's cameramen and guys with lights and microphones overhead. And so if you get scared, don't get sucked in by what's happening in the movie. See, you can sort of level yourself out by thinking about them making the movie and all the things that went into it. There was a scene, obviously, in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, where Large Marge... <laughs> where they do that claymation scene where large Marge goes, ah! and all three of my daughters got scared shitless over that thing. And I would always explain to them, now what we're going to do is we're going to watch this frame by frame. And it is possible to do. Even with an old VCR, you could still do it. You had to do it multiple times. But you could do it, and you could actually stop frame it so you could say, now look, look what they did. They made the eyes out of ping pong balls. And you can see what they did with the hair. You can see what they did the face with all the clay and everything like that. So when the movie played through again, it was like, now, when that part that scared you shows up, again, just think about the production aspects of the movie, of the making of the movie, of the special effects that they're doing. They're doing it on purpose because they're trying to scare you because it works. You know, sometimes that strategy worked, sometimes, you know, it didn't. You can explain things to kids and they'll still reject it, which makes you perfect for adulthood when dealing with politics. I mean, that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing things play out and they got Hunter Biden today, as you saw. And that's maybe the big difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, when one of the Democrats gets tit caught in the ringer, we go, okay, well, you did it. You broke the law. You got to face the music now. The Republicans all start running and explaining why it wasn't really a crime. And, oh, fuck it. I'm so tired of everything in them. I actually turned the TV off last night and just sat in silence for a while because I just couldn't take any more of this political talk. just can't take it. I used to love it. But anyhow, back to this thing about explaining things to people. Um, I was explaining once that there's no such thing as a dark cloud. Now, if you think about that a minute, you're like, well, I can look right up now and see a dark cloud. No, no, you're really not. 
It's an optical illusion because, of course, if you if you take off from Lambert International Airport on a cloudy, rainy day, what happens? You take off, it's all dark and cloudy and disgusting and overcast, and then you take off and about 45 seconds into the flight, you're above the clouds and you look down and everything's white. The same clouds that looked dark and gray from the ground look white and bright as can be from the other side. The cloud didn't change colors. You just change your perspective. And you can do this at home with a kid or a grandkid, niece, nephew, whatever the case may be. So there's no such thing as a dark cloud. Once you get you get about 10 pieces of computer paper and a lamp. You say, all right, sit down and shine the lamp on them. You go, all right, see, there's the sun. Now I'll put this piece of paper in front of the lamp and you see how it gets a little less bright. Still a white piece of paper. Now take three pieces of paper and hold those up in front of the lamp. And you see it's starting to get darker. Now put all 10 pieces together, hold that up to the lamp, and you don't see any light coming out. That's the phenomenon that's taking place when you go outside and you say, oh, look at the dark clouds. Nope, clouds are white. The papers are all white. You're experiencing an optical illusion where the light is being blocked and it's making the cloud look dark. But the cloud is as white as can be. Sort of like town and country. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. I'm getting off the beaten path here today. Oh, oh, speaking of dark clouds, we got a couple of tropical storms brewing. They're saying that in a couple of days, these could be, well, it depends on what happens. You got to go over the Lesser Antilles, and that's going to tear up, you know, it's what they always talk about, wind shear. It sort of tears the storm up and disorganizes it. And so not until it gets over the mountains of the Lesser Antilles, or especially Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has got some really, really tall, big-ass mountains, and if a, if a hurricane goes over the top of that, it'll get shredded by the time it comes out the other side. It doesn't usually have too much left. This may elude most of that and end up in the Gulf of Mexico at some point, and this ain't any good either because this is way too early to be talking about this. Was well, the 20th? Technically, hurricane season starts on June 1st, but you don't usually start seeing hurricanes until weeks after that. And they just started on June 1st because it's more logical and you're, you know, you're, you're approaching summer and it gives you a couple of weeks to sort of begin your preparations. And it's a phenomenon down here, I'll tell you that. It's an entire industry. The way we are with tornadoes on local media in St. Louis, that's the way they are with hurricanes down here and just remember all of these people who looked at you square in the eye and told you that climate change is a hoax you think the pandemic was fun wait till there's no fucking food and that that's probably a couple of decades away but it's coming they warned everybody they say you know it will reach a point where it becomes irreversible and we all know that and nobody's going to do anything because there's no money in it there's 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 no payback so the politicians aren't going to spend the money and in about, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, everybody who's still around, assuming we don't get blown up by some crazy-ass terrorist someday who gets his hands on a nuclear bomb and just blows the place up, assuming we're all still here in about 50 years, like I said, it's going to be a real party, you know, trying to find some wheat. Summer arrives tomorrow. We'll celebrate that on the morning show on K-Wolf and also here on the J.C. Corcoran podcast. Cardinals won again yesterday in Washington. Jordan Hicks, three straight saves. Now Jordan Walker, 
takes a um, 12-game hitting streak into Game 2 of the series tonight. Lars Newtbar back with the team. Then it's off to London after tomorrow's game. They've got a couple of days to prepare for that. I always forget. I think it's nine and a half hours to London, if I'm not mistaken. I know it takes longer getting back because you're coming against the jet stream, but going there, it, uh, it takes maybe an hour and a half less. That seems to be what I recall. Wainwright and Flaherty, your Game 2 and Game 2 starters, Saturday and Sunday. Speaking of baseball, Peyton Manning's at the College World Series in Omaha. He's sitting there enjoying a beer. Oh, 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 oh. It's a Bud Light. He's woke. Cancel him. It's the world. This is the world we're living in now. And I'm going to say something here, and I don't really know anything about this. I just, I'm starting to suspect something. When, uh, when Tony La Russa resigned from his job in Chicago, the White Sox. They just sort of briefly alluded to the ailment that he's suffering from. And I remember looking it up at the time and thinking to myself, that's not good what he has. And I can't even remember what it is. I'd have to look it up. It's not the point. The point is that since that diagnosis, he has disappeared completely. And then there was some sort of problem with ARF, the Animal Rescue Fund that he always raised money for. Not any impropriety or anything, but just something where, I don't know, some people who were in control of the organization decided, no, we don't want you, we want somebody else, and a bunch of people fighting over you know who's going to control the direction of the organization. But here's the thing. Considering Tony Russo's age and that diagnosis and the fact that he hasn't shown up for anything you notice he was not in town for opening day i have a bad feeling about this Uh, and i'll say the words i have this feeling he's dying you don't hear anything from somebody who you usually hear from on an ongoing basis something's wrong somewhere i hope i'm wrong we have uh we have metrolink security guards of which there are clearly not enough i used to be a huge proponent of metrolink i don't think i'd ride it now inmates have taken over the asylum i just don't think i would ride it now they're even having problems during the day so the other night they have it on video the security guard is beating the snot out of some guy the guy's face down on the platform and this uh, security guard from metro he's beating the guy up now i don't have a lot of the details on this all i know is like wait a minute here what that what the hell is going on Paul McCartney turned 81 yesterday. Anthony Mason did a real great piece on CBS Sunday morning the other day. He was talking about the power and the influence that Ed Sullivan had. You know, Ed's philosophy was simple. If you have a great act and, you know, I know that if I put this on, everybody's going to be talking about it tomorrow, then you're going on. And, by the way, I don't care what color your skin is. But with enormous success came unwanted attention. Sponsors, especially in the South, contacted CBS. He was told that he had too many black acts on. They literally said that. They literally said that. And he said, well, I'm booking the show. I'm not answerable to you. As co-founder of The Temptations, Otis Williams was accustomed to racism. We were touring the South and we literally got shot at. Yeah. So for Ed Sullivan to say, I'm going to put on who I want to put on. That is. That's what he did. Not only the Temps, Supremes, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. He crossed the color barrier. He just didn't have it relegated to white folks only. Sullivan's goal was simple. 
represent the best talent the world had to offer. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! So it's not surprising the Ed Sullivan Show was where this little group from Liverpool made their first live U.S. TV appearance. They put on the screen the names so that everybody at home knew who Paul was, who George was, who Ringo was, and when it came to John, but I never had it I said, sorry girls, he's married. One of those girls was 13-year-old Debbie Gentler. Mm -hmm. ah, is right that there? you? There you go, right there. You know what? There was so much screaming, I really did not hear the Beatles. But I was not there to hear the Beatles. I was there to see them be in the same room and take in the same air that they were breathing. That's a remarkable admission. Just wanted to be in the same room and breathe the same air. I said Anthony Mason. I met the other woman whose name is escaping me now. But anyhow, that was a, a similar reaction that I had inside the Ed Sullivan Theater. And I had been in there, I don't know, once or twice. But when we had St. Louis night, when we had like almost 500 people from St. Louis all flying in so that uh, on that one Friday night, everybody in the entire audience was from St. Louis. You remember that, right? I am wearing my Budweiser twist-off toupee. <laughs> I guess you know what we're doing by now. Uh, a week ago tonight, uh, everybody in the audience was from my hometown of uh, Indianapolis. Tonight, everybody in the theater is from the great city, the gateway city of St. Louis, Missouri. And, and, yeah, sure. Listen to this. Next week, we're hoping to fill the theater with those Texas militia guys. So... <laughs> By the way, ladies and gentlemen, good news tonight. Nobody goes home empty-handed. No, sir. Everybody, everybody in the audience tonight gets a year's supply of Purina audience chow. <laughs> that was a great monologue. That goes on for minutes, by the way. So anyhow, I was shooting this whole story for Channel 4, CBS affiliate, David Letterman. They spared no expense. Gave me a TV crew. And I said, all right, I'm going to get a stand-up shot out in front of the theater. You know, show the parade of people. The NYPD shut down the street and gave a police escort from the New York City Hilton in Manhattan. Shut down the street, gave everybody an escort, go into the theater. I got a shot of that. But then I ran ahead and I said, we got to get inside the theater, which is completely empty, set up like on the stage, but shooting back towards the doors, the entrance to the theater. I want to see this rush of people coming in. I got goosebumps thinking about this. And so we got a great shot of everybody just jamming into the theater and just jumping into those seats. But there was about a 10 minute delay before they opened the doors. So we were just standing there with the cameras pointed towards the doors, waiting for them, for them to officially open up. And we were all by ourselves, and I was just sort of standing there in the first row, which is depressed. So when you're standing there and you face the stage, it's about up to your chest. And I remember just thinking to myself, wow, just soak this in. Soak this in. This is the stage where all that incredible television and incredible culture took place you know everything in the first time you ever saw george carlin all the way to you know topo gigio but especially you know the beatles and i just reached out and i put my hand on the stage and i don't usually believe in anything like oh i don't know like vibrations and 
auras and things like that. But I made an exception on this one day. I made an exception. I put my hand on that stage and just sort of tried to absorb what I could absorb. John Goodman has been wonderful to me over the years. And, you know, he was up around 400 pounds. He weighs about half of that now. He's doing the Mediterranean diet. He just basically said, look, I would take two or three months and lose 60 or 70 pounds, but then I'd reward myself with a bunch of six-packs, and I would go back to my old ways. And now... He realizes he's not a spring chicken anymore. None of us are. And it takes a lot of creative energy to sort of figure things out and realize you can't just eat everything you want to eat. you got to live your life better. And so a lot of uh, fish and olive oil, nuts, fruits, and vegetables. He gets at least ten to 12,000 steps in a day. And that's the way to do it. You know that eventually they're going to do something with this Ozempic. You know, this might go on for another year or two where you can get Ozempic even if you don't have type 2 diabetes and you'll lose 10 or 15 pounds, sometimes more than that. But you know it's only a matter of time before somebody comes along and says, yeah, you're going to have an arm growing out of your forehead if you don't stop taking the stuff right now. And then everybody will go back to looking fat the way we all did before. But if you're on that Mediterranean diet, you're giving yourself a lot better shot, a lot better shot. All right, birthdays today. Why is it that I cannot remember the name of that movie? Compliance. Compliance. There was a, uh, the movie is about, uh, she's being abused and eventually sexually abused by this guy running this fast food place where she worked. And there's a scene in that movie where she has to completely disrobe, and I mean full frontal. Man. First of all, powerful scene powerful scene but at the end of the day man does she look good and she had a birthday today 37 she was also in uh, don't trust the bitch in apartment 23 nicole kidman 56 michael anthony of van halen 69 john goodman who we were just talking about 71 lionel richie 74 bob vila this old house and home again never used to miss that show 77 and the genius Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, 81 today. Been deaf in his right ear for his whole life. Everybody's got their eye on the situation involving this tourist submarine thing that is missing two miles deep in the Atlantic Ocean, in the North Atlantic. They were scoping out the Titanic. Something went wrong. And they're down to about, what, 60, 65 hours of oxygen or compressed air or whatever it is they use down there. Even if they find it, even if they locate the darn thing, they can't figure out how they're going to get it off the ocean floor. You need like a quarter billion dollars to pay to these guys because I think it seats like five people. Plus, you got somebody who's got to operate the thing. So you got $250 million? Hand it over. You can go down there. And now that might be it for all of them. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they figure out some way to rescue them. And that will make an incredible story and probably a movie someday. But I don't have a good feeling about it. And if you like screwdrivers or if you just like a glass of orange juice with breakfast, you're probably already aware of the fact that something has gone terribly wrong. Well, what's gone terribly wrong is it's the worst orange juice crop in a century coming out of Florida. A lot of it has to do with climate change, early frosts and freezes, all sorts of stuff that's not supposed to be happening. A gallon of orange juice right now, a gallon of orange juice, $10, $10. And finally, Taylor Swift's Pittsburgh concert broke an attendance record, the record for most ex-boyfriends in one stadium. And with that, 
J.C. Corcoran podcast for Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, is in the camp. We publish at 11 every Monday through Thursday and uh, make it about as simple as can be. You just click on jconthewine.com and it starts playing. You already know that because you're here, but I'm just talking about it because when you talk to your friends and they're like, eh, it's all complicated with podcasts, it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. This is as easy as it gets and it doesn't cost you anything and it's commercial free and boom. As always, you may email me, jc at jconthewine.com, Facebook, The Showgram with JC Corcoran. Have a great day. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. I was there to see them be in the same room and take in the same air that they were breathing. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.